the topic today is entitled The Journey of President Lincoln's Lectern. You know what a lectern is, right? Something like this. We call this a pulpit, but a lectern is a stand. And I've, I've said to some people, that sounds pretty boring to me. I don't think it will be boring. I hope by God's grace it will not be. We won't really be talking about a lectern. But the journey of that lectern and what does it mean? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Our Father in heaven, <clears throat> this morning, this early afternoon hour, we pray for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, to guide us, <clears throat> to bless this presentation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> when Jesus came to give his sermon on the Mount of um, the Mount, what was the Mount anyway? I think of various mountains in his and presentations that he made, but the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's found in Matthew chapter 5. It's the most well-known sermon in all of history. It contains chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. I'm going to read the first few words from Matthew chapter th 5, in, beginning with verse 3 and following on through verse 12. The world today needs those words of Jesus. Uh, just a mile or so away from here, a couple, three days ago, there was a firefighter who was run over purposefully, a young man who had just been married a couple months, he and his wife, his new wife, expecting a little, a little child. And so the world is hurting today. This community in South Lansing is hurting today. That occurred at the corner of Jolly Road and Cedar Street. And the Beatitudes is what our nation needs. The sermon that Jesus gave from that mount is what we need. He didn't have a lectern that day. He didn't need a lectern. But let's read these words before we go into the rest of the story today. Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of our Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they shall revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This was like the reinstatement of those Ten Commandments from another mount, Mount Sinai. President Lincoln gave a message to his nation back in 1863 on November the 19th, just four months following the most epic battlefield experience of the Civil War. Gettysburg was the farthest advancement of the Confederacy. In fact, their only time 
that they made it that far. Pennsylvania, they were into northern territory instead of Virginia or somewhere in the south. And Lee, General Lee, the great commander of the Confederacy, he was taking advantage of moving forward. And I believe God's people need to take advantage of moving forward with the opportunities that we have, like this afternoon, and giving the book Great Controversy in the Mason area. We need to take the advantage that God gives us. Well, General Lee thought he had an advantage. <clears throat> Chancellorsville was the most recent battle that he had fought, and he had won. It was an outstanding Confederate victory near the Rappahannock River in the wilderness area of Virginia. And he thought, I need to press forward into the north. The advantage clearly is mine now. I have everything to gain. And so the Battle of Gettysburg was joined on July the 1st of 1863. And within three days, over 51,000 had died on that battlefield. During the 13 years of the Vietnam War, 58,000 dead. That war changed America, Vietnam. It tore this country apart. You can only imagine what it would have been like to have lost 51,000 in Vietnam within three days. Three days, Gettysburg. That's how many were lost, nearly as many as in the 13 years of the Vietnam conflict. So President Lincoln was a very unpopular president. He was not a man that was well thought of, generally speaking. No one would be predicting, they didn't have polls in those days, every day we're inundated with the latest poll of what will happen and what will be voted nearly a year from now, you know, or more. Who's going to win the election? They didn't have any of that. They just all knew that Lincoln didn't have a chance. In the polling of the day, I mean, no one's going to vote for a president like him. And Lee was going to do whatever he could for that to be the case, of course. So they pressed their advantage. And I believe, as I said, that as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, we need to press the advantage. That's one thing we can learn from General Lee. After that battle was won by the North, fortunately, and by the way, they had about 31 million Americans at that time, less than 10% of what we have today. So Gettysburg today, think of a battle that would have cost about 600,000 lives in three days proportionally speaking to the population. Lincoln was invited to give a few appropriate remarks. Like I said, he was president, but he wasn't all that popular. So they had an orator who was ready, and he spoke two hours, Edward Everett. Afterward, after Gettysburg and the Gettysburg Address were over, and after Lincoln had spoke his two minutes compared to Everett's two hours. The senator said, Mr. President, I wish that I could, could have gotten to the core of the message 
in my two hours anywhere near as close as you got in two minutes. We know the Gettysburg address better yet to this day than any other single address in American history. It's probably the most famous, the best of the best. Lincoln wrote, and you can see his handwriting here, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. After the two minutes, the president ended with this appeal. Every good address has an appeal. Today I'm going to invite you to make some decisions for Jesus. Like I said, I had no idea where I'd be today. I didn't have a speaking appointment. That was on purpose. Very rarely do I ever choose to speak the week before we begin an evangelistic series. It's just something I, I've chosen to just relax the week before because I know what's coming next. It's sort of like if you're running a race, running a marathon or something. You want to relax a little bit before you start because once you start, there's no ending until 26.2 or whatever it is. And so I had no intent, but I kept being persuaded of the Spirit of God moving upon my heart that I needed to preach this somewhere today, and I had no idea where. He led me first to speak with your pastor, and something I'd never done. I'm, in fact, I, it makes me uncomfortable to do such a thing as that, and I'm nearly embarrassed to be here, to to take your pastor's place. I love Pastor Chuck. I, that was not my intent. But uh, when he said, and I certainly would not ever con compare myself to him, but when he said that William Miller stepped aside once for S.S. Snow to come and bring the message about October 22, 1844, I thought, wow, maybe the Lord does want me to speak there. The appeal today, what are we going to do with the opportunities that are before us as Seventh-day Adventists in what could be, indeed, a closer ending than what we thought? Could it be closer to the end than what we realize? We don't know the day or the hour of Jesus' coming, but I believe more than ever that Jesus is coming soon, and he could well be coming sooner than I thought, sooner than we expected, sooner than what we believe and our very name, Adventist, means we believe in the second advent of Jesus. Amen? And that's the hope of the world. This world is in a mess. I've never seen anything like it in all my life. And I'm getting to ha I, I can at least speak with credibility now, better credibility on that score than I could when I was a young preacher, because I'm getting up to the age now where I have credibility. I, I don't like the gray hair. I used to wish for it. Now, we, uh, now I regret that, you know. But uh, my congregation used to say, you know, wow, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I was 30, and everybody on the board was 60, 65, 70 years old. Now I, I'm competitive with that age. I'm competitive with that. Now, now I have a little bit of credibility, and I've never seen the world like this before. I believe Jesus is coming soon. And I want him to come before I die. 
And maybe by the grace of God, through God's people moving out, this will be the generation, your generation and mine, no matter how old or young you are, that Jesus will choose to come. Amen? Because we've trusted him with all of our heart. So he had an appeal at the end of the two minutes. And this was the appeal of the president because he didn't know what was going to happen to America at that time. He did not know what would be the final outcome of that war. But he said, I would hope and pray, he said, that these shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that this government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. I don't know if there was silence. I don't know if there was applause. But the appeal of a broken nation from their president, that this nation of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. The world today cannot afford to have the Adventist message perish. You cannot afford to let the message that you first knew, when you first were studying this message, you cannot afford to let it perish. It must grow. It must become stronger. It must become your message. Well, Lincoln, by the way, spoke from a lectern that day. A lectern is a smaller pulpit. It was a great sermon, if you please, that he preached that day, if you were to put it in church terms. But it was a little pulpit, and there you see it. Lincoln's lectern, it's found in the Philadelphia Union League Hall. And on the walls, you have the Gettysburg Address on either side of the statue of Lincoln in its entirety. It's just three paragraphs long, basically. And then the lectern is given a place, uh, it stands just before you, you see the statue of the pre president there. And I thought, what was the lectern of Jesus? He didn't have lecterns when he went out when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. What, what would the lectern of Jesus be? And I thought of the cross. He only said seven words, the seven words of the cross. The first word was, Father, forgive them, for they know not, know not what they do. And the last words, it is finished. Father, into, into your hands I commend my spirit. The cross was and remains the most wonderful expression of the preaching of Jesus ever given. He was God given his life for the world on the cross of Calvary. And all that was done on the cross didn't change any of his commandments. They remain as they always have been. The ten still remain ratified by the blood of the cross. What was interesting to me about Lincoln's lectern is they had a press conference on August the 7th, last month, 2015, about the lectern of President Lincoln, the lectern of Gettysburg. And in that press, have you ever heard of a press conference given for a lectern? I have not. That was a first for me. We're having this press conference, and the topic is a lectern. We're going to talk about a lectern. Are you kidding? But it's no small deal when you're talking about President Lincoln's lectern, especially if that lectern happens to be the one from which he spoke at Gettysburg 
at the battlefield that costs over 51,000 lives in three days, at the greatest war, the greatest in the many minds president in our nation's history. So John Miko from the Union League of Philadelphia, where the lectern presently is, spoke. In the words he spoke, were most interesting indeed. He said the lectern, quote, will link the Gettysburg Address to the Pope's widely anticipated speech on religious freedom and immigration. You might ask, when is that speech to be delivered? The president of the World Meeting of Families, Robert Kairofoli, now, that's a wonderful name. I sort of am uh, jealous. That would be a neat name to have. I don't know. That looks Italian to me. He said the lectern's, quote, simple beauty and humble role in one of, the, one of American history's most important moments reflects, in many ways, Pope Francis' own worldview. So this is epic. 31 million Americans... 51,000 dead in three days. Gettysburg, the president comes. Two photos of Lincoln are known to exist from Gettysburg. This photo here was only found in 2007. Stowed away, unseen by the world for nearly 150 years, and then found. Of course, the photo... Uh, you know, it's not the greatest quality as we're used to today, but you can see in the midst of that photo a man who is taller than anybody else, and he's wearing a top hat. That's the President of the United States. He's on his way to give his speech. The photo that's most well-known and the only one of Gettysburg ever known until 2007 is this one of the President, and he's right in the midst, and you can pick him out. He's sitting down, and... Um, ready to speak the most illustrious presentation ever given by an American politician. And the words are engraved in the Lincoln Memorial in downtown Washington, D.C., the great words of the emancipator, who had decided the year before, when things were going really bad for America, that he needed to stand up for what he believed, that slavery was a moral evil, and it could not be put up with any longer. And he wrote out the words of the Emancipation Proclamation, and they finally came out, and they became a presidential decree in January 1 of 1863. And those words of the Emancipation Proclamation began to turn the war around. Without that, the Union, the North, would have lost. The United States would have been far different. Maybe we would have been, become known eventually as the Confederate States of America. But we certainly would have been on the losing end except for the fact that Lincoln decided there was a moral imperative to get rid of slavery. And so it was. The words of the great emancipator written on tables of stone, marble, in the Lincoln Memorial. The most beloved president. And then a year and a half later, this picture of Lincoln taken in the year of Gettysburg, he became a martyr, for the cause of the Civil War, he was assassinated April 14, 1865, Ford's Theater. 
died the next morning. Where are we today? Add to Gettysburg and Lincoln's lectern, Independence Hall, Philadelphia. This is where American was, America was born. On the 4th of July, 1776. Independence Hall, it's where the Continental Congress met. Now there's a replica of Independence Hall in Dearborn, Michigan, the Henry Ford Museum. If you've ever been, ever been there, you walked inside Independence Hall replica, but no one would ever claim to you, you have arrived at Independence Hall. It's a replica. It's a good replica, but it's not Independence Hall. I've been to the replica. I haven't been to the original. And we're going to talk about two days for a moment. One is the great original, Independence Hall, if you please. The other is just, it intends to be a replica, but it's not the true. And there's a big difference. Now there, it's just a difference of whether you happen to be in Philadelphia, at the place where America was born, or if you just happen to be at a great place to visit, by the way, which is Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. But do you get the idea? There's two different places. But when it comes to God's moral law, it makes a huge difference. Amen? One day sometimes seems just like the other day. And I can relate to you because I, like your pastor, was born outside of the Adventist church. I was born into a family that kept Sunday, went to church every, every Sunday of my life. Sunday school and church. Raised a Nazarene. Wonderful people. And I can credit my, that the Lord used my Nazarene mother to bring me to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior when I was a little boy. I remember her kneeling beside my bed at night. And the, the prayer, as simple as it was, now I lay me down to sleep. That was the beginning of my prayer life. But my mom was there, and I saw her praying. I saw her reading the Bible. I, I came to love Jesus when I was a Nazarene. I grew up sitting on the front row of the church on Sunday morning with my two friends, Mike and Danny, on either side of me. And we would be, if there were, we'd be writing down things from that sermon in the front row, three 10-year-old boys. The Lord has been good to me through the years. And I'm grateful for my Nazarene mother. But the Lord gave me a, a further truth, a, a beautiful truth, and the Sabbath truth. And it brought me into a deeper relationship with Him. Yes, the Continental Congress and the 4th of July are, you could say, sacred events in American history. How far has Lincoln's Gettysburg lectern traveled? You might say, well, okay, 141.2 miles in the last 152 years. Lecterns, you don't expect them to travel very far, do you? So, from the Gettysburg Battlefield in 1863, now to the Union League Hall in Philadelphia. I'd like to go see it there someday. 141 miles. But what I'm going to share with you next tells me that the journey of President Lincoln's lectern gives indication 
that we have entered a dangerous time for American religious liberty. A dangerous time for religious liberty. Independence Hall is at Benjamin Franklin Parkway, by the way. In a couple weeks, when Francis comes to Philadelphia, he would be coming to the very place where America was born, where it all started. It will be the last of three cities that he visits. Everything is scripted, believe me. Earlier this summer, he wrote an encyclical, which in the Roman Catholic faith means a pastoral letter. And Time magazine said that Pope Francis called upon the world's Catholics to pay attention to environmental issues on what day? On Sunday. Calling on people across the world to act as, quote, stewards of creation. When you read through the encyclical, the words global authority and common good jump out at you. Global authority and the common good. In the English, it's translated, the, the Latin means praise to the Lord, but the whole thrust of the document is on care for our common home, our common home, the earth. So environmental issues and issues of immigration, and might I add, Sunday, are what he is driving at. In section three, or paragraph three, of this pastoral letter, this, this encyclical, Francis wrote, and I quote him again, now, faced as we are with global environmental deterioration, I wish to address, I want to ask you, who is he addressing? Every person living on this earth, in this encyclical, I would like to enter into dialogue with all people about our common home. Let's go to paragraph 71. Now, if you didn't know differently, as you read paragraph 71, you would think that probably Elder Nelson had written that paragraph. It is well done. My friends, again, I'd like to say there's a big difference between Independence Hall and the Henry Ford Museum. They both appear to be great places. And I know it's not a perfect illustration, but we ought to know the Bible so we can separate truth from error. Amen? We must know the Bible so we know the truth from the error because the error seems to run very parallel to the truth sometimes. Listen to what he said. Although the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and he quotes from Genesis 6-5, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, a quotation from Genesis 6-6, nonetheless, through Noah, who remained innocent and just, God decided to open a path of salvation. In this way, he gave humanity the chance of a new beginning. All it takes is one good person to restore hope. The biblical tradition clearly shows that this renewal entails recovering and respecting the rhythms inscribed in nature by the hand of the Creator. We see this, for example, in the law of the Sabbath. On the seventh day, 
God rested from all his work. He commanded Israel to set aside each seventh day as a day of rest, a Sabbath. And then he references Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, Exodus 16, verse 23, Exodus 20, and verse 10. That sounds good, that section right there. But it's interesting what happens to that section by the time you come to paragraph number 237. He said, on Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist has special importance. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, and might I interject here and say now you see where the Sabbath has gone in the reasoning of the Pope, it becomes the Jewish Sabbath. But it's far more than that to Jesus, believe you me. I'll go on and read from the Pope's words, and I quote, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. Sunday is the day of the resurrection, the first day of the new creation, whose first fruits are the Lord's risen humanity, the pledge of the final transfiguration of all created reality. It also proclaims man's eternal rest in God. So he's saying, Sunday is the sign of God's created reality. Sunday is the sign of taking care of our common home, of our environment, and of one another. Hence, the immigrants and the refugees of the world. It's nearly an overwhelming argument because the world is in such desperate need today of peace and safety. We do not know if we live through this day today due to horrible events that are taking place. So what are we to do? Where can we look for a word of hope? And the world is looking to Philadelphia. The world is looking to two weeks from today. That's what we're looking for in the world. My friends, it's nearly an overwhelming deception Paragraph 243, he writes, at the end, and this just about sounds Adventist, at the end, at the end we will find ourselves face to face with the infinite beauty of God. And he quotes that beautiful text or references 1 Corinthians 13, 12, then shall we know even as also we are known. Now we see through glass darkly, you know, but then shall we know even as also we are known. And be able to read, he goes on to say, with admiration and happiness, the mystery of the universe. There again, you talk about the cosmic creation of God. We'll be able to understand the mystery of the universe, which with us will share in unending plenitude. Even now, we are journeying towards the Sabbath of eternity, the new Jerusalem, towards our common home in heaven, Jesus says, I make all things new. 
Revelation 21, 5. Accordingly, one could be led to believe if you were to follow the Pope's reasoning, he has also made a new Sabbath. In Revelation 13, 3, it says, In all the world, what did they do? Marveled. Don't forget that. All the world marveled and followed the beast. I believe as a Seventh-day Adventist minister, I know something about the Bible. But I better keep on learning and growing in Jesus and reading the Bible because the end-time deception follows closely, more closely than I would have believed myself to the absolute truth. We need to know what the Bible says about the seventh day. I believe it's still the Sabbath. How about you? It's going to be the final contention. And I thought to myself, you know, the spirit of prophecy hasn't opened everything to us in the details, but who would have thought that the last day Sabbath controversy could have been over issues like the environment and immigration and religious, religious freedom? And I don't know the day or the hour, and I don't, I don't know if this is going to precipitate the very end-time events or not, but it could. But I'd like to be part of God's precipitating the end-time environments by passing out great controversies and by sharing Bible truth. Amen? So he'll be welcomed in Washington at the White House, South Lawn welcome like you would an official of a great nation. He'll see the President of the United States, and then he'll, the very next day on Thursday of within two weeks from where we sit, he'll be addressing, first time ever, a Pope will address a joint session of Congress. And then on Friday, he'll address world leaders at the United Nations. And then that same day, he will visit the 9-11 memorial. Yesterday was 9-11. He'll be at Ground Zero to have a, a cross-denominational religious service that he will host there. There's a 180-foot mural of the pontiff in downtown New York. It overlooks Madison Square Garden, awaiting his arrival in less than two weeks. I've already mentioned the activities of Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but on Sabbath... Two weeks from today, at 4.45 in the afternoon, he will give a speech at Independence Hall, where America began. So he's going to go from Washington and the White House to Congress, and then New York, the UN, and Ground Zero. You see the strategy here, step by step to the most venerated places in American history, and then on to Independence Hall where it all began. It used to be when people would come from the old world to the new that they would plant their standard in the ground of the new world 
and claim it for Spain. Remember that, that's what Columbus would do. This, to me, is the same essence. And now America is willing to welcome as host, as they've never done before, not like this. And the speech of the Independence Hall, where it all began, will be given from the lectern of President Abraham Lincoln, the very lectern he used at Gettysburg. No one else speaks from Lincoln's pulpit. No one else, at least by the time the president was martyred in April of 1865, no one else was permitted to stand behind that desk and deliver any remarks. No president has ever done. The pontiff will speak from the Gettysburg lectern. The following day, from ben Benjamin Franklin Parkway again, over a million will gather after a parade through the city, a papal parade. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. There's no more beloved figure in the world today than Francis. We live in very serious times. Jesus put it like this. What did he say about the Sabbath as we near the end of time? In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 20 and following, Jesus seemed to link the Sabbath with an end-time tribulation. Now, the tribulation of which he speaks in verses 21 and 22, specifically, first of all, is really talking about the 1260-day-year prophecy that extends from 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D. And you're probably familiar with that. But also, in the context of this passage, it becomes a transition point to an end-time tribulation that God will bring His people through in victory if we trust Him. And you can see from the context that goes on later in that chapter that we're arriving very closely to the second coming of Christ. And the context of the Sabbath controversy is right at the very heart of all this. And the context of calling for Sunday worship is at the heart of the encyclical of the Pope and what he wants to address and bring America to. Now it says, and pray, Jesus said, that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For, in, and for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. The 1260 years were the longest time of persecution ever known. The time of the very end will be the most intense persecution no, ever known in such a short time. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So here we are. Could it be that we're on the precipice of the very end of time? We need to keep our focus on the cross and what Jesus means to us. We need to realize that we're ready now for the end-time events that bring very clearly 
to our attention the difference between God's truth and a beloved error. It's time for us because those days will be shortened. God himself will shorten the coming great tribulation. You and I can make it through it through the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're on a journey. And I've never felt so close to the end as what I do right now. Martin Luther King could say, I have a dream. And he said, I've seen the promised land. Have you seen the promised land? We're on the edge. Beyond, what was that? Beyond this edge, there's the point of what? No return. So Jesus is coming soon. Does that stir your hearts? <laughs> Amen? I mean, we could find ourselves in the midst of great trials, but even if those trials shall come, we could rejoice. Amen? We could rejoice. Jesus said, Men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. But he said, Rejoice! And be exceeding glad, because great is your reward. Where? In heaven. Where is Jesus now? He's our great high priest. We do believe in a high priest in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And he is at his, may I say, his lectern, where he speaks eloquently to the Father God of this universe on your behalf and mine. It's called, that lectern is called, the Ark of the Covenant. It contains the words of God and tables of stone. Words including the Sabbath commandment that have never been changed. As it says in Revelation eleven nineteen. he has his Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. That's his union league. That's his lectern where Jesus speaks today. I'm so glad he's speaking on your behalf and mine, isn't he? And he's saying, Father, my blood. And he's pleading your case and mine. And I love this Adventist message. By the way, no one else needs speak from our high priest's lectern. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Jesus' lectern there in the most holy place. But his work is about ready to wrap up. Because he has it in his heart to come back for you. What a day that will be. Our closing hymn says, How far from home we've never been closer. I'll never forget the words of my grandmother when I was a new Adventist. And she was suffering and she had gone through a lot of health difficulties. And she said, each day she said this, these words. She said, I'm closer today to the coming of Jesus than I was yesterday. And the Adventist message is so beautiful because today it's more important than it was yesterday. Now, I love the Adventist message yesterday. I love Jesus yesterday, but Jesus and his truth are more important today than yesterday. And if my life should tarry and events go that way, it's going to be more important tomorrow and next week will be more important by the time we get to two weeks from now. It would be more precious to me by God's grace than it is more important than it is today. How about you? 
on your journey? Where are you on your journey? Do you realize that these things are about to take place? That one of the most, if you please, in the secular parlance, maybe I don't, I don't want to make too much of it because we were not to worship Lincoln, but in this venerated lectern of a former president who was martyred, that the Pope of Rome will stand from behind that desk on Benjamin Franklin Parkway in front of where America began. And you see the events of Revelation 13, the two beasts of that chapter. You see the events coming to pass just like Bible prophecy always said they would. So the prayer of my heart today, I don't know all of you, and some of you have never seen me, but I want to make an appeal to your heart today. As we sing this closing hymn, would you stand if it's truly your desire to unite with the Seventh-day Sabbath and with God's last day people who proclaim it. Now, you may be united to that already, but I want you to ask the question, am I really? If you want to unite with the Sabbath, if you want to unite with this people who proclaim the seventh-day Sabbath truth, and you want to be ready for this day when Jesus comes again, which could be closer than we thought, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing an early Adventist hymn. It's 439. It's entitled, How Far From Home. And as we sing these words, I pray that it will be in your heart to unite fully on the side of Bible truth before it's forever too late. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.